Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. So I want to I want to do something uh, funny here. I feel like after I shared that word that I probably need to be a little more lighthearted for a second, and then I'm going to share some more word with you. Everybody take a big, deep breath. Say, it's going to be all right. In fact, it's going to be better than all right. It's going to be amazing. Liz, would you come up here real quick? So I think it's really good. Um, we, we like to be as transparent as possible without being uh, over, uncom- uncomfortable. So, um, I don't know. Sometimes we are uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. So anyways, we'll just see where this goes. But So Liz was reading back from um, her journal. This has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to minister on. Nothing. Other it's than... It's really kind of funny. It is funny. So she was <laughs> journaling, um, you know, she's been journaling for years, and so will you just go ahead and just okay. tell them? Not as consistently as I probably should have. So I just went around the house, and I had, like, packed away some journals. So I was like, oh, there's a journal. It's downstairs kind of hidden away. So I went and grabbed it because the Lord was just like, I want you to go over your journals. And I was like, okay, okay. And it's, there's some really funny stuff. So to teen, like I was in college whenever this, for this journal. So I encourage you young or old, but lots of young people journal because it is really funny to be my age now and go back and read the things that I was thinking And so this was June 24, 2001. And, like, I had, like, this great ambition. I just, like, got this birthday or this journal for Christmas, and I was like, I'm going to write, and it's going to be awesome. And I didn't. (laughs) And so then it was, like, the whole next year before. No, it was two years, and I had, like, three pages before this, before I picked it up. So I said, I haven't written in a journal for a long time, but I'm going to make this my prayer journal. I need to get real and start hungering for God and seeing awesome change in my life. Um, first off, I need to start praying every day, all the time. And I just wrote, like, side nugget, praying is an attitude. Um, so that's how we can you know, pray all the time. It says pray without ceasing because it's just an attitude of our heart. Anyways, um, and digging into the word. I want favor and more favor with people in an awesome way. And then so I wrote specifically, I'm going to pray for my dad, that he would have a softened heart, my, my mom and kids, which are my brother and sister, for peace and joy. And then, <laughs> this is the funny part, Kent's mouth. <laughs> And then I put like an asterisk and I said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I will just say it wasn't because like he had like cussed or and he just had. Oh, a I really, did a little bit. A little bit, a little bit. But he had a really, I mean, it was just negative spewing out of his heart all the time. So I shouldn't really have said I'm going to pray for his mouth. I should have said I'm going to pray for his heart. But I just thought that was really funny. And I just, I just put Kent's mouth. And I was like, oh my gosh. And this is like 18 years ago, right? 2001, yeah, you said yeah. so. Yeah. Now I don't have to pray for your mouth. Right. So it's much, perfect. So. My heart's perfect. <laughs> well, my spirit man is. My heart needs some work. Right. Right. Uh, and then that I would gain wisdom and peace and start producing fruit, which brings us to the next journal entry because one thing that Kent always said to me is what fruit are you producing because apparently I wasn't producing this was in the past I don't do that now (laughs) no but I mean probably not quite like that I might say it nicer you might say it nicer maybe but anyway he was always telling me like what fruit are you producing are you producing any fruit what's coming out of your life and, and apparently like, my fruit was not very good either <laughs> i was a complete hypocrite so so I, I was like i need fruit and i think at that probably particular moment in my life i didn't know what that even meant i'm like what am i not producing i need to produce something i didn't realize that was just you know relationship with the lord So then, December 16th, so like six months later, again, I wrote, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Kent and I were driving home and listening to some worship music. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. I was singing that straight from my soul. It was such a peaceful ride home, because I don't think we had a lot of peaceful rides. 
but mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> you know that song? I don't, I don't know why you got to be angry all the time. You ever, <laughs> I was about, that was written about me. <laughs> oh, and then, then I said, I'm so lucky to have Kent because he has been challenging me to grow. So I turned the negative into a positive. <laughs> At least you didn't just say he was challenging. Right, right. Um, for some reason, and this is real, for some reason, I haven't been tough. I guess it's not that I don't care. It's just that I'm too lazy to put forth an effort. And who all can say that? I mean, that's true. That's like reality. That's like, um, I guess I know things will change. And, you know, this is another thing. A lot of us don't like change, whether it's good change or bad change. We're creatures of habit. And so... When, you know, we're going to do something, it causes change. And so we have to be okay with that. Anyways, not bad changes, actually awesome changes. I think, too, I've just let too much crud build up on my heart. However, as I was singing, I felt so light, like God was there, and he was taking, clearing that junk away. It's time to get real. Kent has been, and I'm in the dust compared to him. So... You know, comparison isn't always great, and he was challenging me to grow. But I just, I, I mean, we weren't Sound like... like I was a bit legalistic, to be honest probably, with you. Probably, probably. But, I mean, I think actually at that moment, like, the word was becoming real in your heart, and, like, you were listening to teaching, and you were growing, and you are getting a lot of revelation. And, I mean, the grace message was coming alive in your heart, and I just, like I said, I was lazy, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> So I just thought that was good. But then, oh, my gosh, the next entry was just a few days later, and I said, my prayer for today is knowledge, understanding, and wisdom so that I might start to grow and have passion. And I, oh, this is like, I mean, I wasn't going to share this, but anyways, real quick. But that, like, the Lord, you know, can prophesied that this was going to be a year of open doors and he also prophesied that this was going to be a year of great revelation and for me personally because I decided that I was going to dig in and I was going to do the work and I was going to embrace change do you know on February I think 5th it was of this year I prayed that exact same or the Lord revealed to me all knowledge all wisdom all understanding and I was like Oh, so then that's another fun thing, like to look back and see journals. So wait a anyway. second, wait a second. You're on it. You just want to keep going? No. Okay. That's it. Praise God. That's awesome. <laughs> Hallelujah. I, I really just wanted to just be funny, but I'm telling you what, that's powerful stuff. Hallelujah. And praise God. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. If you want to know what makes me tick, not what ticks me off, but what makes me tick, about, let's see, it would be about 16, 17 years ago. Well, even before that, I had an encounter with God. I was driving in the, down the road, and I, got, I didn't know what had happened at the time, but I got filled with the Holy Ghost. The love of God filled my car. And I was forever touched and changed. I didn't really understand what happened to me, but I knew something had happened to me. And, you know, sometimes it says that when Jesus began to do and to teach, and sometimes he'll do something, and then he'll teach you what he did to you. But then sometimes you learn, and then you have an experience based off of the revelation that God gives you. But it's important that we experience the Lord, but we also understand what it is that the Lord is doing. Otherwise, if you just have experience without revelation, you just turn into a flake. (laughs) If you have just a bunch of experiences and don't have any scripture to back it up, you just get flaky. But if you have a bunch of just word and you don't ever experience the word, you get dry. I've heard it said like this before, that if, uh, if you got all word and no spirit, you'll dry up. If you have all spirit... And no word, you'll blow up or flake up, either one. But if you combine the two together, you'll grow up. That's really good. We're never meant 
to, to be just word people without having the presence of God, the anointing of God, the glory of God, and having him minister to our soul and that personal relationship. We're not supposed to have that, but we're also not just supposed to have all of these goosebumps and feelings and emotions and, and services without having been rooted and grounded in the word. So I had this incredible encounter with the Lord. And then what happened was a few years later, I started to, to have revelation come to me about what had taken place. And it was a revelation of the gospel. And a few years in, which is about that time that she was sharing that, but I was like a, I was like a, I was like a grace Pharisee that I had a, an understanding of God's love and grace, but it was like, you need to be like me. And I was no different than Pharisees in the Bible other than I just had a different message was all. But I was just really hard on people and I just, you know, I didn't know how to balance it out. But I started to see that a lot of what I believed about Jesus was right, but it was mixed with a lot of things that were wrong. And I basically had believed a, perver a perverted gospel as the apostle Paul writes in Galatians. And he said, it's really not another gospel, but he said, it's a perverted gospel because you've brought other things in that you've mixed to try to, to, try to get and, and keep a relationship with Jesus. And so when I started to flip-flop in my understanding, and the Holy Ghost was doing this to me, so I encountered the Lord, but then I also got revelation from the Word, it completely changed everything about my relationship with God. And I am a product today. I asked if you want to know what makes me tick, that's what makes me tick. Not just the encounter, but the revelation of the encounter and the revelation of what Jesus had really done on the cross. And it's still growing to this day. As a matter of fact, I told Liz, and I had even forgotten that I had prophesied about this being a year of revelation. I have gotten more revelation from the word of God this year than I've probably had in at least 10 years. I mean, it, it's like when I'm reading it, it is exploding off the page to me like I haven't had in years. That's why I don't even know how to come in. I don't, I don't, I don't even know how to teach at this point right now for 40 minutes. I don't even know how to do that because I could teach for three hours and 40 minutes. I have so much that God's doing in me. And y'all are freaking out right now. Like, how long is he going to go? I'm going to go till I'm done. Amen. So, but I, I always try to be careful of everybody's time, but I, I, I push it to the max because when the anointing is flowing through you and the power of God's coming through you, you know, we have physical limitations, but you just go with it as long as you can. You know, Paul preached until well past midnight and Eutychus fell out the window and fell down and then they had to go up and raise him from the dead. How many of y'all know that Paul probably should have quit at like 1130 and then came back the next morning and finished what he was saying? So there's practical wisdom to go along with what God's doing and what he's saying. But, but when you have... There's a difference between having a revelation of the gospel or getting a hold of the gospel and the gospel getting hold of you. Because see, when the gospel gets a hold of you, it'll, it'll cause you to put your life on the line to the point even physically that you would be willing to die for it. I mean, what kind, what kind of revelation was it that they had in the early church? It was recorded that that when Nero was the, um, the Roman emperor, that when they were persecuting Christians at the stake, it was reported that they would be burned at the stake. I mean, that's, that's pretty gruesome. Not only did they, were they on a stake, they would be burned at the stake. And as they were being burned at the stake, these are what historical accounts say, that there were the, the ones being burnt were crying out and praising God and thanking him and glorifying him. And at the same time, they had to quit persecuting people that way for a period of time because for every person that was being burned at the stake, there would be two or three that would jump out of the stands when it was in like the Colosseum or whatever big arena, they would jump out of the stands and come down and be converted right there from watching people give glory to God. And it's because something on the inside of them was so powerful that drove them to praise God regardless of their circumstances. There is a big difference between West, westernized Christianity and biblical Christianity. And I'm not against Westerners. I'm a Westerner. I love America. I love Missouri. I love Perryville. But there's a lot of things in our culture that we have lost. And there's, there's a, you know, the the blessing of being in covenant with the Lord is tremendous. He wants us to be, to walk in health. He wants us to walk in, 
prosperity. He wants us to walk in all of the benefits that the kingdom has to offer. But do you know that that is not why we have relationship with the Lord? That is not why God has us here on the earth, because the reality is when we get to heaven, we'll have all that, and we won't have to faith for any of it. We'll just have it all. If it was all about having that stuff, we would just go to heaven. But we have, we have a gospel that Jesus died to produce that he's called us to preach. And I really, truly believe that there's another level that comes to us, a, a level that's worth dying for once it gets a hold of us. But a lot of times, and I'm, I'm not trying to be hard here, but... <laughs> A lot of times people don't even want to get out of their easy chair to go and help somebody or to pray for them or to come to church or whatever it is. And I'm not, I'm not trying to bring you underneath of any kind of thing, but it reveals where people are at a lot of times when they don't do something. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, we were just talking the other day that the one who, how did you say it? The one who... Lovers will always outwork workers. And when you know God's love for you and it gets a hold of you, instead of just going, oh, I know God loves me, but you really don't know God loves you. You just know that's the right thing to say. When it gets a hold of you, it will cause you to go to a whole nother level in the kingdom that you would lay down your life for your brothers and your sisters and not just the ones that are in the kingdom, but the ones that are outside that you need to go and reach. It's the kind of thing that would cause somebody to go to the Middle East or Northern Africa or Northern India or one of these really dangerous parts of the world just to go and tell people about somebody else named Jesus. And the westernized Christianity, I mean, if you just look at what's happening in our country, there's a lot of apathy that's there. And I don't think that there needs to be more hard preaching like, you need to get off your keisters and do something like what Jesus did for you. We've had enough of that kind of stuff. What we need is a revelation of what God did. We need a revelation of his love for us, how he's justified us, how he's declared us righteous, how we have full access to his throne room, how he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And really just the power that's in the gospel. People that get a revelation do something. People that just have knowledge sit at home and don't do anything with their life. But we're not of that caliber, are we? Because we have a revelation and it's growing deeper and greater and stronger all the time of what Jesus has done for us. So that's what makes me tick. That's the thing that I'm after more than anything else. And part of what God has spoken to me, why I am here on the earth is to help change people's thinking about who God really is. And this is why, and for the last several weeks, and this is going to be the last week that I've been talking about heaven's legal system, or you could call it the courts of heaven. And this is why I've been talking about this, because if you understand what I'm saying, it will completely change how you view the Lord and how you view how he views you. We need to have a right perception about God's goodness, about his grace, and about where we stand with him. Amen. And if we don't understand that, we don't have anything to stand on. If we don't understand our position that we have in Christ, then our position will always be wavering because we think it's based off of our performance instead of off of the performance of Jesus. But the revelation of this is what causes us to be able to boldly come before him and cooperate with him and actually contend with him. If you think somebody is your adversary, you're not going to be on their side. Well, that's not real deep, but that's really profound. If you think somebody is your adversary, you are not going to be on their side. Even if they love you to the max, you're not going to be able to cooperate with them. And I know, I know firsthand from things that I've heard my entire life that most Christians basically think, well, God loves me and that's why he sent Jesus. And so since Jesus died and paid the price and I received Jesus, I can go to heaven. But God really doesn't want all that much to do with me. Let me tell you something. God, this might sound strange to some of you, but God needs you. Not and he like, oh, I just got, oh, what am I going to do without him? No, he was doing fine for, you can't figure time because God created time. But before time began, God was doing just fine without us. It's not that kind of need. 
But the way he has set the earth up, he cannot accomplish his will without having people cooperate with him. Let me show you this in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25 here. 43 and 25. And do we have this here? We've got it up on the screen. It says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Hang there for on 25 for a second. You know that most of the time we talk about our, our transgressions and our sins being blotted out. We talk about it being for our sake. And praise God, it is for our sake too. Aren't you so glad that Jesus has paid the price? And this here says, for my own sake. This is the Lord saying, I'm blotting out your transgressions for my sake, and I will not remember your sins. Look here in verse 26. It says, put me in remembrance. Let us contend together. State your case that you may be acquitted. Sounds like a legal term to me. He says, state your case that you may be acquitted. But before that, it says, let us contend together. Well, if you think that God is your adversary and not your advocate, how could you ever contend with him if you think he's not on your side? See, this is when we talk about the law, we're not just talking about the Mosaic law. We're talking about any form of legalism that you could put yourself under or a preacher could put you under or your, your past experiences could put you under mixed in with the Mosaic law, mixed in with all kinds of stuff that keeps you at a place to where the enemy comes in. He accuses you of not living to the level that you believe God's telling you you need to live at. And because you believe it's God telling you to live at that level, when the enemy speaks, you think it's God when it's indeed the enemy. And so you hear this voice saying, you're not doing enough. You're not living enough. You're not praying enough. You're not fasting enough. And you know, there's a, there's a place for all of that. It would be wrong to get so extreme. I, I remember having a conversation with somebody one time and they asked me what to do. And I said, honestly, I would, I would fast. I would go into a time of fasting. Oh, that's legalism, brother. It's not legalistic to fast. It's legalistic to fast to think you're going to pry God's arm to do something to get him to finally open up and go, all right, well, I'm going to unfold my arms and I'll bless you now because you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And just when you were about ready to die, I decided to just go ahead and help you. I mean, that's how people think about God. That's, that's not it at all. I mean, fasting and prayer and Bible reading, it positions you underneath of the open heaven to receive what God has for you. It's not getting God to open the heaven God already has. The heavens cannot be any more open than they are. This is why we have to make a distinction between the old and the new. Because everything in the Bible is truth, but not all of it is truth in the covenant that we live in. For example, uh, somewhere in Isaiah, it says, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Seek the lost, heal the, heal the lame. Jesus, bring glory to your name. There was a song that was written about it. I, I used to sing this song. I loved the sound of the song. And it was, Lord, rent the heavens and come down. The reality is, is that God already rent the heavens and came down in the form of Jesus. Why would we ask him to do something he's already done? That's unbelief. Seek the lost and heal the lame? That's a cop-out. Not back then when it was written before the cross, but nowadays it's a cop-out. Lord, seek the lost, heal the lame. Jesus said, I have given you power. I've given you authority. I've given you the gospel. I've died and paid the price. The Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. Now you go and seek the lost. You preach the gospel. And then it says, Jesus, bring glory to your name. The song says that. It's our job to bring glory to his name. Amen. You say, why are you being so hard on that stuff? Because we don't understand the difference. We are mixing old and new together, and we've, it's, we've come up with weird results, weird results. And we wonder why things don't work for us better. We have to completely throw out the old and have a pure, unadulterated revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a difference. I've read this almost every week. I'm not going to go there, but in John chapter 1, around verse 18, it says that the law that Moses gave the law. It wasn't very personal. Moses gave the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus. It came through the person of Jesus. The law, it was like, all right, well, you're going to be disobedient and you know, you're going to think that you're righteous in your own eyes. Here's the law. But when it came to grace, the Lord came down in person and said, I'm not just going to give you something. I'm going to give you something through me. 
I'm going to lay down my own life. It's personal for God. And it says that Jesus, that, that Moses had a, a level of glory that he revealed, but it says that glory is passing away. So if we're resting on the old covenant things, we're resting on legalistic things, we're actually looking at and leaning on a glory that's fading. But the glory of Jesus, the glory of the new covenant, of the spirit of, of life in Christ that we have, it's an increasing glory. And so if we want something that's going to bring us from life to life to life to life, we have to have a revelation of what it is that Jesus did for us in the covenant that we now have with him. And today I want to go a little bit deeper and I want to talk about the fact that Jesus has given us a new order, that there is a new order and specific, a new priestly order. It's going to be the last week I'm going to talk about this, although I could talk about it till I'm blue in the face because there's so much in the word about it. But there is a new priestly order that's been made, and the order that came in brought in peace. And I'm going to show you this here from the Word. Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and look here, I think around verse 14. Actually, we're going to start in verse 16. It says, Simon Peter spoke up and said, and this is when Jesus said, you know, who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation here. So in Matthew 16 and verse 16, it says, Simon Peter spoke up and said, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are favored and privileged, Simeon, son of Jonah, for you didn't discover this on your own, but my father in heaven has supernaturally revealed it to you. I give you the name Peter, a stone, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. Now, this gives a little more detail about what the Lord was talking about because we've been told, you know, that Peter was the first pope and it was basically based off of the scripture that Jesus was building his church on Peter. It wasn't that the church was built on Peter. It was built off of the revelation that Peter had about who Jesus was. That was really the issue there. But he said, I will build my church, my legislative assembly. I will build my government. We have all these pictures of what the church is. It's a family. It's an army. It's a... Uh, Whatever else you could fit in there, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. So a family, an army, and I, I've listed all these things. What, what else? Come on, a family, an army, a, a bride, a marriage. Oh, there's all these different pictures is my point of the church. But there's also the fact that it is a governmental. It's a governmental thing. And Jesus said, I will build my church in specific, not just a family, not just a marriage, but a legislative assembly. Look at this in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And for time's sake, if we can just pull it up here. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah 9 and 6. Are you all still with me? It says, for unto us. Now, this is prophesying about the Messiah coming, right? It says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulder. And that makes sense based off of what we just read, that Jesus said that I will build my church, my legislative assembly, my governmental system. I will build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it says, in his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, I've heard this referred to in terms of like, oh, all the governments of the Lord are on the shoulders of Jesus. <laughs> I got news for you. There's a lot of governments in the world, and most of them are not on the shoulders of Jesus. Most of them are, are tyrannical. They're killing people. They're doing all kinds of things that are in opposition to his kingdom. They are not in line with his kingdom. This is talking about the government of God in the kingdom of God. It says, of the increase. Everybody say increase. Of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice it says of the government and of peace, there will be no end. It's been misunderstood and misconstrued. I firmly believe to, that people believe because mostly because of Christmas time, people talk about peace on earth and things like that. It sounds lovely, but that's not why Jesus came. He did not come to bring peace on the earth. It even, it even says, he said, Jesus himself said, don't think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. 
Jesus came to divide out what's true and what's not true. He came to divide out the justified and the unjustified. He is a just God who delivers justice. And praise God, he did it on Jesus. But he didn't come to just bring peace on the earth. And we have this, this ooey-gooey, mushy thing. And you have the spirit of the world. And you've got all of these people that are screaming, you know, I want world peace. And you ask you know, all of these people and the, whoever, and all these pageants and whatever, what do you want? Oh, we just want world peace. And everyone goes, oh, yeah, world peace would be wonderful. And they're doing things to try and have world peace. I got news for you. They're never going to have world peace as long as they are not putting their faith and trust in Jesus. There is going to come a time when Jesus will ride in on a white horse and the battle of Armageddon is going to come. And he's going to come in and he's going to destroy all the enemies it is not going to be peaceful and even up until that time it's not going to be peaceful there is not going to be peace on this earth like most people have read that and saw those things the peace he's talking about his government has to do with his people he's bringing in a peace in his government that people that enter into his kingdom that there's a peace between the king and the people that are in his kingdom I'm going to show you this more. Look here in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And can we pull this up here so we can see it? In verse 13. Look here. And it says, and suddenly there was, and we know this so well, but I, we really don't know it. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and we know this is when Jesus was born, right? Without going into great detail. It says, glory to God in the highest. And I want you to notice where the comma is put there. It says, glory to God in the highest, comma, and on earth, peace, comma, goodwill toward men. The commas and punctuations were put in there by the Bible translators to make sentences the best they can. But I'm telling you now, that comma is in the wrong place at their highest. Here's how it should read. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, comma. Because now God was not only in heaven, but he was also on earth in the form of Jesus. Let me read this again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Comma, peace and goodwill toward men. You say, well, I feel like that's taking a little bit of liberty. Well, the, the, the Bible translators take liberty to put commas. We have to be able to read it, read it in context, know the whole Bible in its entirety, and be able to discern what it's talking about. It is, if Jesus came to bring peace on the earth, world peace, whatever, Christians buy into that stuff. But we're not of that caliber, amen? If he came to bring peace on the earth in that sense, he failed miserably. How many of y'all know that God doesn't ever fail at anything that he does? He doesn't. So what in the world is he talking about here? Glory to God in the highest and on earth because he's in both places now. God in heaven and Jesus on the earth because he is God manifest in the flesh and peace and goodwill toward men. Remember, Jesus came to set up his government, his legislative assembly, and the government will rest on his shoulders and on his government and peace. Remember what it said in Isaiah, and peace. There will be no end. Let me show you this a little bit more. Isaiah chapter 61. Again, a prophecy about, about Jesus. And Jesus actually took this word and quoted it in Luke chapter 4, which we're going to get there in a second. But Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1, we know this well. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. You've got to pay very close attention here. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, procl to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, I want you to pay attention to that wording there. Go back to that verse. And it says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Can you all read some verses with me? Can you hang in there? We're a word church, aren't we? We're going to know and understand and declare the word of the Lord. We're not going to be ignorant because if we're ignorant of the word, we're going to be ignorant of Satan's devices, and he's going to have us. Praise God, but he's not going to have us for lunch. Luke chapter 4, and look here in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out, went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Let me just stop there, and this is a total side note. 
We have the same job as Jesus to teach in all of the places, but we are never supposed to be glorified by all. The glory only belongs to Jesus ever. Verse 16, it says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Just what we read from Isaiah chapter 61. And here it is. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, do you remember what it said next in Isaiah? It said to declare the day of vengeance of our God, right? This is Jesus reading this. This is, these are his words. He's reading from the prophet. And it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And what does verse 20 say? Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. I love when I can preach doctrine and it doesn't even come from me. Anybody that thinks that we're here to declare the day of vengeance of our God, you didn't follow Jesus' example. Because Jesus did all the other things that were blessing, 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 blessing. They're justified. The price has been paid for. All of that kind of stuff. And then when it came to the day of vengeance of our God, he closed the book. Why? Because Jesus was the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but for the whole world. The propitiation means that he was the appeasement of divine wrath by sacrificial offering. God's wrath must be appeased for sin. It must be, has to be. It's a law. It has to be appeased for sin. But this is where the devil has tricked people up because people understand that and they do something wrong. And they go, oh God, what's it going to do to me? See, I used to live like this. I remember, this is kind of funny, but I remember when I was, when I was younger, uh, when I had a lot of zits on my face around 13, 14, 15. I mean, you just, I mean, everybody just goes through that stage and it's like every morning. And I, it is disgusting, but everybody understands it. Uh, and it made a few people laugh, so it was well worth it. I love to see people laugh. Man, we need to laugh more. My God. God's a happy God. You can't dance and not be happy. I dare you to dance and not be happy. I dare you. And it says that he dances over us. Okay, anyways. And I remember one night before I went to bed, <laughs> and I believed that the Lord told me that if I didn't brush my teeth before I went to bed, that he was going to put a zit on my, I believe it was my nose. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I believed that it was the Lord. God is my witness. I believe that the Lord told me that. I was so bound up in a legalistic mindset, a performance mindset. If I have to do this, and I have to do this, and if I don't do that, and I don't do this, then God's not going to give me this, and then he's going to give me this, and I really don't want this. I walked around like that. How can, you, how can you possibly contend with the Lord if you feel like he's always striking you down, if you feel like he's always looking for a way to punish you? You can't contend with him. You're contending against him. And you know what? I received my own prophecy, and I remember the next morning waking up, and I had a huge zit on my honker. I mean, it was, a, it was a big sucker. And I don't know if it was just because I had an oily face, and it was always, you know, I was always get them, getting them, and it just so happened, and it worked out. But literally, I probably prophesied my own judgment. That's why you have to be careful what you say. It wasn't God that fulfilled it. I was the one who fulfilled it. Why? Because we are the ones that have the authority here on the earth. This might come as a shock to you, but God's not the one that has the authority on the earth anymore. Oh, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Whew. I'm going to tell you one of the worst doctrines in the body of Christ. And you know what? If you get mad at me, then you shouldn't be offended. It is the extreme sovereignty of God doctrine that's being taught and perpetrated in the church. You know why? Because the 
and there's variations of it that are not accurate either, but I'm just going to go with the extreme one to not make too many people mad at me. But people basically believe, because I, I listen, I know because I listen. And actually, I swore, I said, I'm never going to teach that again, because last time I talked about this, I made so many people mad. But I just, whatever. But I believe this is the worst doctrine, hands down, in the body of Christ, hands down. Because if you believe in the extreme sovereignty of God, let me, let me tell you this. The word sovereign does not exist in the King James Version of the Bible. It's not even there. Am I, so people would say, well, you don't believe God's sovereign? Now, hang on a second here. In the NIV, I believe it's only in the Old Testament, the word sovereign is put in place of like Lord God or Lord God Almighty. It's sovereign Lord like 300 times. The words become very cultural, but it's taken on a connotation that, that the Lord never wanted to have happen. I believe he's sovereign in the sense of what the dictionary says. He's highest in, in rank. He's the, he's the number one. He's at the top of the food chain. He's, he's all of that. He's God Almighty. But the idea that's been, that's been passed down is that he just controls. He just sovereignly controls everything. If that was the case, wouldn't that speak to him being a really nasty God? Look around us. Look around. We could have, if we just had a show of hands, which we're not, but if we had a show of hands, who's in, who in here has family members that have got, you got a family member that's messed up on drugs? But probably every hand in here would go up because we've got family members that are messed up on drugs. Who in here has got relationships that are just totally sour and south? And who in here has got somebody that's, that's got, you know, there's some kind of major ailment going on in your family? The list could go on of all the bad stuff. And the Bible tells us that he takes no pleasure in evil. He has no pleasure in evil. So then when they can't combat the sovereignty of God's stuff, then they start saying what's good is evil and what's evil is good. Oh, it's actually a good thing that you're, you've been smited with the cancer. Oh, it's a, ooh, it's a blessing from the Lord. You're going to grow. You know how you grow? You grow by getting into the word of God because the word of God is what makes us thorough and complete, a complete person lacking nothing. It's not trials and tribulations and issues. So I'm just going to say it again, and I'm going to move on. I'm out of time, which means I have 10 minutes left, but I have to say that so that I'll really stop. <laughs> I didn't even touch the tip of the iceberg. Jesus, help me. This thinking has to change in people. So I don't even, I don't have a problem with people say the Lord's sovereign because I just go, well, oh, they're just saying that he believes that, they believe that he's the highest in authority. He's the, he's the number one. He's the chief. I agree with that. But when you get into people saying, oh, God, you, you know, you pray for something and you don't see the manifestation. Well, God is sovereign. Oh, so what you're saying is that he wanted the, the mom that had four kids that died at 42 of cancer. You're saying that that was God's sovereign will? Get behind me, Satan. Ichabod, the glory has departed. My God is a good God. He sent Jesus to pay the price. He bore stripes on his back so that I didn't have to be sick, so that I didn't have to live in, 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 in any kind of physical garbage and sickness and junk on me and disease. You say, well, what about people when they die? Look, I don't have the answers for everything, but I know it's not God's fault. And if you, if you don't understand this, because see, we've just been sucked into this mentality. And if you don't understand this and you don't divide it out rightly, you will never go to God believing that not only can he, but will he? Or that he will? I would quicker question God's ability than I would question his willingness. Oh, he's plenty willing. What people really believe, they don't, they don't think of it this way, but they, what they believe is that Jesus did what he did. You understand that he bled eight times, eight times. And only one of those times bleeding had us, had anything to do with us being born again, justified and made right with the God, be, being saved. All the other times had to do with blessing for us here on this earth. So what most people believe like when it comes to sickness, for example, is that, yeah, Jesus paid the price. He bore the stripes on his back. 
But God's just kind of got something. He's just kind of snuck around Jesus and what he did, and, and he's going to go ahead and put a sickness on us anyways. God will never do something to violate the covenant that he's made with his people. We have a covenant of healing. It is a legal issue that has already been settled in heaven. Look, I, I, can, I, have a, I feel like I have a right to preach this. Because some people would say, oh, you just don't know so-and-so died and my mom died and this person. And look, those things are sad. My mom died. I've been preaching this for years. I believe it. I've seen it manifest in my life. I've seen many people healed. I've seen many people set free because of what I believe. And I've learned to cooperate with God's grace. But yet my mom died. But you know what I didn't allow it to do? Change what the word says and what I believe about what the word says. I have a covenant with my God, and when I lay hands respectfully, when I lay hands on someone and they die, I'm respectfully, I'm going to step over them, and I'm going to pray for the next person, and I'm going to pray for the next person, and I'm going to pray for the next person, and I'm going to preach the truth about Jesus, and I'm going to tell people that, that Jesus did absolutely bore stripes on his back, and it says that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. Jesus had a relative poverty because he was rich beyond rich in heaven he had a relative poverty here on this earth and he took on that poverty so that you and I would not have to live in poverty but we could be made rich financially it's speaking hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Lord hmm. oh Jesus help me how do I do this? Oh, Lord. I gave a title for the message, and I haven't even gotten to the introduction to the message. What am I supposed to do? We're just supposed to turn there real quickly. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Can you handle a couple more minutes? Say, thank you, Jesus. I can handle it. I'm not on top of a window. Even if I fall asleep, I'm not going to die. And even if the chicken burns in the oven, it's worth it to hear more good stuff. All right. I don't know. I don't know how to do. I don't know how to do this. I, I don't know how to do this. Hebrews chapter seven. I don't even know how to do this. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let me tell. Let me tell you this. The book of Hebrews. See, here's the thing: is that people. I've done this for years, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself, but people take snippets from the Bible and they build entire doctrines around it. Let me tell you that that is not good Bible interpreting skills. That is a bad thing to do. Everybody say, bad thing to do. We need to, under, and look, we're all growing. Nobody understands all of it. I was just talking to Liz the other night. It's like there's certain books in the Bible you're reading. It's like, oh, that's the easiest thing to understand. And then other things you read, it's like, what the heck is it talking about? Nobody's got it all figured out. But what we want to do is draw conclusions based off of an overall view of what that book, who the author is, who, who he's writing it to, and why he's writing it. The book of Hebrews, even though actually the author is a little unknown, but it was Paul that wrote it. But anyways, it's unknown, but it was Paul. Anyways, uh, I mean, you read it, it just becomes very clear that it was Paul that wrote it. And anyways, um, the reason that it was written is because the Hebrews, the ones that were responsible for the oracles of God, for the prophecies of God, for the law of God, for relationship with God, for the miracles of God, for all of the things concerning God and the earth, God chose them. He chose them to carry out the will of God and the earth. Does that make sense? And so he gets to the writer of Hebrews, gets to this point in Hebrews chapter six, and he says, and actually before that, in Hebrews chapter, at the end of chapter four and into chapter five, he starts talking about a new order coming in through a new priesthood. And then in chapter five, at the end of chapter five, he says, look, he says, by this time you should be teaching this, but you have the need for me to teach you the basic elementary principles of the oracles of God. Because you understand the law and the prophets are extremely important even this day, not for justification, but they all point to what Jesus did here in the New Testament. If, if we didn't have the law and the prophets, we wouldn't understand anything. These guys who wrote the New Testament wouldn't have understood anything. 
It all, it all pointed to it. So, so the writer was saying, you're without excuse. You should know these things. So he starts talking about this new priesthood, and he mentions this guy named Melchizedek. Ever, who in here has heard of Melchizedek before? Who in here, when you first read it, was like, who is this Melchizedek creature? You didn't, he had no idea. That's how I was. So he starts talking about Melchizedek, and then he interrupts himself and says, look, I shouldn't even be telling you this. You should already know all this stuff, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you again anyways. And so in chapter 1, verse 7, and I'm going to read here in the Passion, Passion Translation, in chapter 7, verse 1, and I'm going to read four verses. I'm going to skip a bunch for time's sake, and then I'm going to read the very end of this. What better way to end our morning than just reading some scripture together? Amen. Chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Melchizedek's name means, oh, I love this. Oh, I love it. It means, first of all, before I, get, before I read this, I have to say this, that we're going to read this in a second. But Melchizedek, Jesus was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not after, see, all of the old covenant priests came from the house of Aaron, the lineage of Aaron. It was the tribe of Levi is what it was called. And only from the tribe of, Le- of Levi could there be priests. But Jesus came in through the tribe of Judah, which means praise. And it was a total surprise to everybody really what was, was really happening because they were thinking naturally and they were thinking that the priest is going to come through the tribe of Levi. But, but God said, no, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm putting in a new order and Jesus is going to come after Melchizedek. All right. So here's Melchizedek. Listen to this. It says Melchizedek's n- name means king of righteousness. Now, this is in the Passion Translation. You can follow along up here if you want. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Whose righteousness? It's God's righteousness given to us. He was the king of peace because the name of the city he ruled as king was Salem. So the the city of Salem that he ruled from meant peace. Before I got all wound up a couple minutes ago, do you remember what I was talking about? About the government was on his shoulders, and of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Jesus came in as the the high priest, not a high priest, but the high priest underneath of the order of Melchizedek. And what's the very first thing it says about Melchizedek here? That he was the king of righteousness, and he was the king of peace. It says, now when Abraham was returning from defeating many kings in battle, Melchizedek went out to meet him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of everything he won in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. Then this Melchizedek has no father or mother and no record of any of his ancestors. Just like God. (laughs) He was never born and he never died. But his, his life is like a picture of the Son of God, King Priest, forever. Now, let me show you proof of how great this Melchizedek is. And for time's sake, I'm going to jump down to verse 11. But what he says there is that because Abraham gave tithe to Melchizedek, and Abraham was the greatest patriarch out of all the patriarchs, and yet great Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek, it proved how great this Melchizedek was. Verse 11, it says, If any of the little... If any of the Levitical priests who served under the law had the power to bring us into perfection, then why did God send Christ as a priest after the likeness of Melchizedek? He should have said, after the likeness of Aaron. And furthermore, for God, for God to send a new and different rank of priests meant a new law would have had to have been instituted even to allow it. Verse 13, this is where it gets really good. Are you with me? It says, yet the one... Yet the the one these things all point to was from a different tribe, and no one from the tribe ever officiated at God's altar. For we all know that our Lord didn't descend from the tribe of Levi, but he shined from the tribe of Judah. And Moses himself never said anything of a priest in connection with Judah's tribe. And all this is made even clearer if there was another king priest raised up with the rank of Melchizedek. This king priest did not arise because of a genealogical right under the law to be a priest, but by the power of an indestructible resurrection life. For it says in Psalms, you are like Melchizedek, speaking of Jesus, king priest forever. The fact that he's a king describes his authority. The fact that he's a priest deals with the legal thing that he did when he went into the courts of heaven and spilled his own blood on the mercy seat. 
It was a legal thing. Priest, see, we look at the law and the priests and those things in the Bible, and we just think, oh, that's how they did church. No, it was a legal issue. God says, this is how you are legally going to respond to me. If you want to be blessed, you have to do these things. If you don't want to be cursed, you have to do these things. Moses, here's the law. Give him the law. It was a legal issue. So all of, those, all of that priesthood came to a complete and utter end because Jesus came in under the order of Melchizedek as the king of peace and the king of righteousness to bring about a new priesthood. It says the, the, the old order of priesthood has been set aside as weak and powerless for the law has never made anyone perfect. But in its place is a far better hope which gives us confidence to experience intimacy with God. And he, and he conformed, con, confirmed it to us with a solemn vow. For the former priests took their office without an oath, but with Jesus, God affirmed his royal priesthood with his promise, saying, The Lord has made a solemn oath and will never change his mind. You are a king priest forever. So all this magnifies the truth that we have a superior covenant made with God than what they experienced. For, our Jesus, or for Jesus himself is our guarantor. As additional proof, we, now, we know there were many priests under the old system, for they eventually died, and their office had to be filled by another. But Jesus, everybody say, but Jesus. But Jesus permanently holds his priestly office since he lives forever and will never have a, success, a successor, if I can say the word right. Verse 25, we're almost done. Are you with me? It says, so he is able to save fully. From now, throughout eternity, everyone who comes to God through him, because he lives to pray continually for them. He is the high priest who perfectly fits our need, holy, without a trace of evil, without the ability to deceive, incapable of sin, and exalted beyond the heavens. Unlike the former high priest, he is now compelled to offer... Uh, who is not compelled to offer daily sacrifices. They had to bring a sacrifice first for their own sins, then for the sins of the people. But he finished the sacrificial system once and for all. When he offered himself, the law appointed flawed men as high priests, but God's promise sealed with his oath, which succeeded the law, appoints a perfect son who is complete forever. I wish the pulpit would hold me because I would jump on it and like shout and scream and spit even more than I already am. Hallelujah. Oh my God. I'm going to read this one more verse and I'm going to close because it is 12 and I will close. We are closing. Everybody say we're closing. And this is the third and final closing. Look, my God, how can you not be excited about this? I mean, this is just awesome. See, this is where joy inexpressible and full of glory comes in. This is peace that passes all understanding. Why would you worry about anything? I mean, worse comes to worse. You die and you go to be with Jesus. That's the worst thing that could happen to you. Oh, look at this. Romans 8, last verse. Romans 8 and 29. It says for, and this is again the Passion Translation. I just love this. It says, for he knew all about us before we were born. And he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. And you know what it says, and I'm not going to go there, but I'm just going to quote it in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 5, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, it tells us that we are king priests. Why? Because Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. He is a pre he's the high priest and he is the king, but we are just like him in the sense that God has given us a realm of authority. We have authority here on this earth, but we also have authority in heaven because we're also priests who can go right into the very throne of God without spot, without blemish, fully justified, fully made perfect, fully righteous, fully holy, not 
not because of our righteousness, but because the righteousness of Jesus has been given to us. And we never have to doubt if God's going to love us, if he's going to be our advocate, because Jesus is continually seated in heaven in the courts of heaven declaring they're righteous, they're righteous, they're righteous, they're righteous. My blood has covered them. They have the right to be here and they can receive everything, everything that they need or want or desire that the kingdom has to offer. It's theirs. I'm glad this is called Overcomers Church because that will make you overcome any and everything in your life that would ever come at you. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let me bless you. Thank you, Lord. God, could I, could I possibly bless them any more than talking about Melchizedek and Jesus? And he's the king priest forever, and we're after the order of the king priest, and we're made just like him, that we've been born into this kingdom, and we're seated with him in heavenly places, and the, the blood of Jesus has been spilt on the altar and the mercy seat of heaven, so we can go before God, and the glory of God resounds and just explodes over our lives that we've got a, we've got furniture here because of the grace of God the mercy of God the gospel of the Lord Jesus we have the right furniture here to see the glory of God to have angels doing God's kingdom and business here in Perryville we've got the right furniture here we've got the right thing to hold the glory of God and thank you Jesus that we we will not be confused we will not mix the old with the new that we'll be totally 100% sold out and we will have a pure, unadulterated revelation and walk in it of the true gospel, the only gospel of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Love you. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ocipariville.com.